Okay, guys, welcome to another episode of the Piscoff Podcast. Uh, who cares what number it is? Doesn't matter. This one's called Happy Father's Day, everybody. Should actually be number 46, um, but still, Happy Father's Day. Uh, this one, I just, uh, me and my dad just, you know, shoot the shit. You gotta just get to see what my dad's like, uh, where I'm coming from, you know, both psychologically and like, you know, how we were raised. We would go through so a bunch of different topics. So I think you guys will enjoy it. And if you do, uh, let me know. Uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, on Twitter. I don't really tweet or anything like that. But if you message me, DM me, I'll probably see it. Or you can email me at the pissed or pissed golf podcast. Just all one word: pissed golf podcast at gmail.com. Let me know. Uh, maybe I'll do this with my dad every week. He could kind of be like my co-host. But uh, yeah, um, let's see. It's a kind of a long episode, so I'll just uh, stop doing this and. Uh, Let's start the episode. I, I wasn't able to edit it because uh, I didn't bring my... We'll figure it out. Don't worry. Future ones will sound better. All right, guys. Love you. Bye. But yeah, guys, uh, so this week I'm joined by my father. I'm here with him right now, Lou Goff, the man, the myth, the legend. He's not a myth. He's here right now. He made me. Uh, so Lou, is that, is that what you want to call you? Obviously, I call you Baba. So Lou's I, fine. Whichever fine. one I say. Um, but yeah, so tell uh, tell my fans a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I'm 60 years old, so 30 years ago, I had Yusuf, and he's here today on Father's Day, which is nice to see my son on Father's Day, Always as good. well as my other kids. Um, I had him when I was 30, and it's 30 years later, so it's uh, numbers work out nicely. Very good, yeah. And, and you also had like three other ones, so you know. Got a lot of practice in those 30 years. Oh, yeah. Well, Yusuf's my firstborn. Um, born in the United States in Patterson, New Jersey. This is you, you're saying? Yeah, this is so me. So that they know. Yeah, and, and Yusuf, too. Um, I'm first generation. My father's from Russia. My mother's from Jordan. Palestine, I thought. Well, her, <laughs> she was born in Palestine. And... Uh, Yaffa, and they left in 1947 because of uh, Israeli, we don't want to say occupation, it's occupation now, but it was uh, displacement of the Palestinian people because of the um, Oslo, uh, not Oslo Accord, the um, the accord that was set up by uh, England. Um, I can't remember the name right now. But anyway, they, they ended up uh, migrating to Jordan, and she was raised in Jordan. And uh, 10 years there, and my father ended up meeting her from Russia. He was escaping communism at the time. And uh, he left, and they were set up in a refugee camp in Jordan. And uh, he worked at the electric plant with my mother's brother, and they got to meet each other and became friends. And my mother and my father ended up meeting each other, and they got married and had two kids in Jordan. Came to the United States in 1956, and my brother and I and my younger sister were born here. Um, they pushed education on us. They said that uh, they wanted us to do better than what they did and so my older sister's a doctor and I'm a chiropractor 
Um, my sister and brother all finished college. And uh, I kind of pushed that on my kids, too. Yeah. Now, that's what I did. I did the college route, too, myself. You know, obviously, as, as you guys all know, because you guys know everything about me, as being my, my greatest fans, my golf fights out there. Um, but, yeah, that, that's, so that's interesting. So you're first generation here. How do you think it is? That's now that you mentioned, you know, it being Father Day, Father's Day and all that. How do you think it differed the way that you were raised versus the way you raised us being your first generation versus your parents being from another country? Well, I think the the boundary between father and son was a little bit stricter when I was growing up than the way you were raised. Um, in the culture that my father is from, I wouldn't sit down with him like we're sitting down. Um, I would stand until he told me to sit. Um, we, I, when my father was older and he was sick, I, I mentioned to him, I said, there's some things about the culture that I like and certain things I didn't like. And he said, what do you mean? I said, if I was able to sit down with you, a lot of the mistakes that I made in my life, I wouldn't have made because I, was, I would have been able to ask you advice on, but I wasn't able to because of the way the culture was. And nobody would have gave me better advice than my father but I relied on my friends who really didn't know much more than I did. So a lot of times the, mis the mistakes I made um, cost me and it was a trial and error mistake. Um, but that's life. I mean, everybody learns from their mistakes. So, but I mean, a lot of things could have been avoided if I was able to communicate better with my father. And... Uh, Fortunately, I was able to in, in his last days, and um, Yusuf was around, you were around, um, and got to hang out with your grandfather and, and see what that, that culture was like, and uh, we, we kept some of the old stuff, and we bought some of the new stuff, and we incorporated it, and this is the new generation, you're a second generation uh, American, and... Uh, You've seen the way I was with my father, and you see how you are with me. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I kind of do agree with you that you are... I mean, I wouldn't say that my grandfather wasn't approachable to me because I was very young, you know, and I'm his grandson. So, of course, you know, it's easier to approach him. But I I didn't really notice that, I guess, until you said that. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see you and him communicating as... E or even not even see uh, what's the word I'm thinking of as easily as, as we communicate I can talk to you about stuff that I don't have that I feel like you might not be able to talk to your father about if that makes sense yeah um, you think I'm gonna give you an example in the Circassian culture which is what my father's whose background is if I wanted to get married I couldn't ask my father or tell my father that I wanted to get married I would have to tell my mother or my uncle, and they would have to bring it to my father. Oh, I didn't even know that. Okay. So my father and me were father and son relationship. There was never a friend relationship. He was always my father, and I was always his son. Uh, even uh, when he passed, I was 40 years old about, 
and he was 70, 75, but the relationship was always father-son. It was never, you know, we weren't ever able to sit down and talk like friends. Right. You know, so there, there is a boundary to jokes. There's a boundary to communication about certain things. Like I would never talk to him about relationships. Okay, and uh, things like that. Well, you know, it's it's funny you say that, not really, I guess, funny you say that, but it's interesting because, yeah, I didn't, until I guess I decided to become a comedian, I did feel it was inappropriate to tell a lot of the jokes to you. And even as a comedian, I feel like it's kind of harder to to tell you some of the things I want to say as a joke but also because I'm a comedian now, and I'm like, look, you gotta be, you gotta be yourself. I can't just go ahead and be two different people, and expect to maintain both. You gotta kind of do both. If you're gonna, if you, you can't be two people, is what I mean. You gotta be one. Stick to one. So either I can be this fake persona, just like you kind of have to always be when you're at work and most jobs, right? You're not in most occupations. You're not able to tell people, oh, you're annoying. Leave me alone. X, Y. Really speak. You gotta like. If I have an intimidating supervisor or manager, I can't be like, you know, I really get uncomfortable when you talk to me. That does, That's not going to be productive, right? Right. And I feel like you can't, but you have to find a balancing act because that's work. And you kind of have to be like that with your family. And I feel like now I don't have to be like that. I feel like you didn't get a chance, if that's what you were saying, to get that change of just like, and I'm not saying that we're really technically like friends, but we can joke around like you were saying, like I can make somewhat inappropriate jokes knowing that, you, and you know it's, it's coming from a place of goodwill, not a place of me trying to be disrespectful or rude or anything. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Um, people have different faces depending on who they're talking to, okay? I mean, if you were talking to the President of the United States, you wouldn't be the same as you're talking to your buddy. Um, but you should try to be the one person, right? Well, I mean, there's 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 boundaries that should be taken. Although we live in a society where it's free speech, free speech is not always free. Right. Okay? Because what's offensive to certain people may not be offensive to others. And so when you say things, you need to consider that Although you can say whatever you want to say, the repercussions might not be always what you think it's going to be. So, for instance, you, you can say, like, you're in a, in, a, in a theater and you yell fire. That's illegal because people can get hurt. Right. Well, based on people's religion, based on people's culture, based on people's patriotism, they may take certain things wrong or it's not something that's jokeable. Um, for instance, this fight with Khabib and Connor. Right. Connor says, thought, oh, okay, it was, it's okay to talk about his father. It's okay to talk about his religion. It's, it's okay to talk about his culture and his patriotism. Okay. But Khabib didn't think it was that funny. And there are certain things that are off limit. That is not um, fair game. You're good. I just wanted to. Sorry. Good. So... What ended up happening in, in the ring 
showed that Khabib didn't take it as it was a joke and it's a um, an exercise to um, promote his fight. He exactly. took it personally and he was very offended by it. And I think people need to understand that not everybody follows the American culture. Although we're Americans, we are a melting pot here. Um, there's... Arabs and Jews and Russians and Cubans and Spanish and Italians and Germans and Africans and Scandinavians. Everybody occupies this territory and that we need to know what the boundaries are when we talk to certain people so that when we say things, we don't offend other people because by offending people, then you have to be able, if you, can, if you can dish it out, then you have to be able to take it. And so whatever the response is or their actions are, you should expect it. And, and I agree with you there too. And you know, it's funny you say that. I'll go bring back the Connor thing real quick before I go to the next thing I wanted to ask you. Because I think that's interesting in the sense of also Khabib is, was raised very much in a culture that's similar to the circassian culture correct it is circassian culture yeah. so would i wouldn't even say would you say you took it personally um when khabib was saying those things but because you were also raised in that culture you can see that offending you versus me being raised in the more american culture i think when we spoke about this i was like i understand why connor did that because it's all promotion i don't think he really meant any of the things he said maybe he did i'm sure there's some truth in that but i think it was more like the way a comedian might say something offensive, it's to make people laugh, not to offend them. His goal was, I'm going to piss you off by saying this thing. Well, look, and, he, and, it, and it definitely worked because I, he got fucked up. As a fighter, there's more to the physical game. There's also a mental game. Yeah. He was playing a mental game to try to intimidate Khabib and to take him off his game. And when if you're, you you were involved in wrestling you were involved in rugby you know that if you're frustrated then you don't perform the same it's easier to make mistakes for okay? sure okay so connor's thing was well, we're going to promote the fight we're going to intimidate him and throw him off his game and to give us the mental advantage and hopefully that'll be enough to offset the physical disadvantage okay um See, that's I, an interesting take I understood Connor's um, Connor's um, approach because I understand business in this country and I understand capitalism and uh, how how promotion works but I also understood when Khabib jumped over the cage and he was going after Connor. Or his coach, I think, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, well, well, after he finished with Connor, he jumped over at, at uh, um, the coach, uh, Connor's one of his Sabolov, or I forgot what the guy's name is, okay? Um, when he jumped over the cage and he, and he jumped over people to attack him, okay? I could understand that because um, there are certain things. When I was growing up as a kid, it was like, um, you were in the playground, and 
you would put a um, popsicle stick on the person's shoulder and you say, knock off, oh, that's your mother. No, don't talk about my mother. Anybody talk about my mother, they got hit. They got punched in the mouth. Yeah. Okay? So, I mean, if that's what it takes to get into a fight as a kid, just saying your mother this and your mother that, when you talk about a, to a fighter and you're talking about their father, you're talking about their religion, you're talking about their their um, their culture, you're talking about their nationality, okay, it, it pisses people off. I mean, um, we're Americans. We don't like non-Americans talk about Americans. Right. That's okay? why we don't as, like as the a French. Pa- as a patriot, okay, yeah. I mean, um, we love America, Right. So do you like when people talk about America? Now, as a parent, okay, it, it's the same thing. Like, if I see that you're doing something wrong and I, and I say, Yusuf, you're, you're such an ass, okay? Or Yusuf, you're stupid or Yusuf, whatever. I mean, just, just to say, right? okay? I can say it and I'm not offended by it. But I don't want somebody else telling me my son is a certain thing. Right. Okay? Um, that's like you and your brother. Okay. Yes. Now, well, if I if friends. I say it to you, oh, your brother's an idiot. Yeah, you might get a little bit. You're not saying anything because I'm your father. But if your friend said it, is it's it the same story? If 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 and somebody if stranger, who's not related even says something, then how oh, do you yeah. feel? Yeah, okay? you definitely get angry. So so it it, it takes um. You have to know when you're talking to people how how you're going to affect them. Um. Years ago, we had the Charlie Hebo situation. Perfect lead-in. Where um, the French cartoonist, they were saying it as a joke. They were insulting the 1.2 billion Muslims by offending their prophet. Okay? And because they felt that it was free speech. Right. Okay? So... Is it correct that they got retaliated and people got killed? No, it's not correct. But it was not also correct for them to insult the prophet of the nation, of the Islamic nation. Exactly. Okay? So, I mean, there was a consequence to the action. And so, if you can't, if you, don't, if you want to say whatever you want to say because you have the right to say what you want to say, then you have to expect that people are going to react the way they want to react. And are you ready to handle what their reaction is? So you probably grew up way more with this around. It was still kind of around when I was growing up. But the saying was, talk shit, get hit. Right? And yeah, it's well, very similar. Yeah, if you can't uh, talk to talk. Uh, yeah, don't talk to talk if you can't walk to walk. Right. But pretty much the same thing. It's like, if, you, if you're going to talk this stuff, they build you back have to be able to... And, Nowadays, especially with my little sisters, their age, you know, being 13 and 5, they can't, they don't have that freedom of speech. They, they, they can talk whatever they want because now the words are just so offensive that you can't retaliate physically either. They don't want any physical retaliations. They don't want any word retaliation. And I understand, look, we want to make the world a better place than we found it. But you also have to realize there's like this cycle that goes, um, and, uh, I think it goes tough times make hard men hard men make good times good times make weak men weak men make hard times and then it just kind of cycles over and over again and i feel like right now we're at that the weak men are going to be making hard times cycle 
Well, we, we do go through cycles, okay? Um, in the past, it was taboo to offend people. Then there was a time where it became politically correct. Oh, you can't say things because it's not politically correct. Then it got to a point where you can say whatever you want to say. And now it's at a point where you can say things, but there's consequence to saying things. Um, let's go back. A lot of them are legal consequences. Legal consequences. And, or all, you can lose a job for something you said that is covered under free speech. And it just was something that somebody found distasteful. Right. You see that with a lot of the, the news people. The one um, guy was, uh, was the, when they were doing Zoom meetings, he was caught masturbating. On the Zoom call, he, I guess he must have thought he turned his video off. And then they, they let him off for like a couple of months, and now he's back on there as uh, one of their financial analysts. Well, I guess... Uh, <laughs> you didn't hear about that one, did you? No, I didn't hear about that one. I forgot the guy's name. I, I guess he. I guess he was excited about the, the stock market. What was going on? I mean, <laughs> that's another weird thing. It's like when everything kind of crashed uh, in March of 2020. I noticed in my head, I was like, "Oh, well, this is this is not going to happen. This is not going to be a long-term thing. This virus is is being overplayed. It'll be two weeks, like they said, to flatten the curve. These airlines and all these certain stocks that went down." Oh, buy them at their low, and then when they go back up, you can sell them and you make your money, and then when it levels out, you can buy them back again. So you still made the profit, and you can still own the shares. Right. Now, I was doing that at my own level, which is very low, but apparently a lot of these people were doing... A lot of these people who are in charge uh, politically, people who are very close to them, were making very big purchases, almost like it was motivated to make it very difficult to fly. Now, how can you do that? Well, if you're governor of a state, you can maybe make it so like New York was trying to do it. We don't want anybody to come in if your state has more infection. And now we're gonna make the stock drop on XYZ so we can buy them low. And Because I don't know if you've heard, Blackwater has been, Blackwater I believe is the company, or BlackRock, I mean, the ones that were contractors in Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, they were buying a lot of houses in this housing market bubble thing that's going on. We're in Iraq? In Afghanistan? No, no, or they're here? buying them here. Okay. Why? Why would they be buying all these homes? Well, once... well, anytime, anytime there's a global crisis, which this became a global crisis, okay, it changes the economy, and economists know that during economic times where the stocks go up, stocks go down, money values go up money values go down gold prices go up gold prices go down real estate prices go up real estate prices go down the buy in the sell okay there's a certain time to buy for instance you, were, you talked about zoom before um before before the pandemic zoom probably wasn't doing much not at all right okay but when everybody got down in a lockdown zoom went through the roof right okay Restaurants were a place where most people socialized. Most restaurants were doing very well before the epidemic, pandemic. And then when nobody can do it, a majority of the restaurants closed. Right. Okay. Um, I think that 
um, the pandemic has changed the way we function as a society, but it also changes the econ- it changed the economy. Okay, um, when is it? When has it become, or when was it ever, better to stay home in a capitalistic society? We're not talking about communism and socialism. We're talking about capitalism. Yep. When did people make more money staying home than they did working? And why are we having a hard time getting back to work right now? Because people are making more money now sitting home collecting than they were when they were working. Exactly. Uh, I talked to a young man Friday. He's saying that he gets $950 a week from unemployment. I go, well, were you making that much? He said, no. All right. So he's making more money sitting home, taking uh, collecting unemployment than he was working. Or even, let's say, he made $980, we'll say $900 a week while he was working, and then he doesn't work and collects unemployment and only gets $700, why is he going to work 40 hours a week for basically 200 extra dollars? Yeah, and that, and it may not be 200 more extra dollars if you start figuring a wear and tear on your car, well, exactly. taking your clothes to the dry cleaner. The gas, uh, gas and all those other things. Oh, yeah, food, it changes, because you can't just cook um, at home or you, whatever. You're going you're gonna to buy your lunch outside. Yeah, so it becomes parking. If you're parking in New York City, oh. parking costs you like $60 a day. It's crazy over there. Yeah, that's... It's definitely like it's it's funny you say that because yeah, Bezos got divorced, lost half of his wealth and still made more than what he lost, more than the half that he lost. So he made more than half of his wealth just in 2020 during the pandemic because everybody was staying at home and just using Amazon because mm-hmm. they're not closed down. Oh. Even though they're a gigantic warehouse that's definitely way bigger than everything else, but God forbid you're a church or, or you're a mom and pop shop that only does one thing, you have to close your businesses down. Right. So I think it was definitely a big capitalist. It was, I feel like it was definitely a real disease. And I think that people saw this opportunity to take advantage and they did. And things were set up that way. Well, I think, I think that's part of, of when you were saying that People in government, they bought real estate or they invested a certain way because they saw what was going to happen. Nothing happens overnight. I mean, we go to war um, before the people know about it. The the government's been talking about it. The generals already been researching. They did all their... um, You know, checked out the opposite, the, the enemy side and found out where all their ammunition depots are and where their financial centers are so how they know how to attack it um it's the same with um with with everything else i mean the cdc didn't know that there was a problem with um the coronavirus before before december i'm sure they knew well see that could be i can see that going both ways just because China is very, you should watch Chernobyl, it's on HBO, 
it's it's a it's a limited series, so they're not. It's once you you're done, they're not making another season. Okay. It's incredibly well done. It's gonna have it's gonna be weird because you're gonna hear British actors, but they're playing Russians. Um, but it's without spoiling anything. It was made Chernobyl was made worse. The same reason why COVID was made worse, which was the government didn't want anybody else to know that they were fucking up, messing up. Right. And so things got way worse than it had to be instead of them asking for help from outside, which very much what apparently was going on in China. The doctors were whistleblowing and they were getting killed or they were getting silenced because they didn't want this to go out everywhere and be told. Right. That, I remember Chernobyl when it happened and that it was because the communists didn't want to ask the United States who had the technology to help them fix it, but they didn't want to feel weak. And that they were unprepared. And, and that they could not handle the problem themselves. And what ended up happening is the the plant melted uh, yep. the plant melted down and the aftermath of the radiation is devastating not one generation but multiple generations because of that mistake. Oh yeah. It, it, the wild one of the most wild things about Chernobyl is it's still apparently radioactive today, right? right. And well, they have like radioactive wolves there or something. And those that's strange. It's in itself. But then you go and you think, well, what's ha what's going to be happening in Japan with this Fukushima reactor? But then also you look at, well, what happened to Japan when they dropped the nuke from from World War II? But I don't think it really irradiated the place as much. It did. Uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, those two bombs, they devastated the Japanese um, people. It's not dark enough for, to do that, Yasmin. You're going to have to wait probably. Sorry. For, for uh, generations. Um, even, even in Iraq War where United States was dropping all those bombs and the sorties and they were using um, the radioactive... Um, radioactive bullet tips. Bullets. It, it caused a big problem with leukemia and birth defects and stuff where, uh, you know, we, we, we do things sometimes without really thinking about what the long-term consequences are. And then... When you look back at it and you say, well, maybe we shouldn't have done that, but it's a little bit too late. Um, pride is one of the Satan's traits. People being too proud to ask for help. People being too proud causes a lot of disunity. And... Without us working together, it's hard for us to combat the things that are wrong and fix them. Whether it's radioactivity or the free speech situation or the pandemic, you know, we need to work together. We need Absolutely. to work together as a world. You know, I was watching Game of Thrones and in the Game of Thrones, Everybody's fighting for their throne, so everybody wants that seat. But when they realize that the um, the zombie people from the north are coming, the dead the dead are coming. The army of the dead is coming to fight them. They realize that our true enemy 
is that and that they needed to band together to fix this problem otherwise they would no longer exist well with the pandemic the world kind of came together and and that everybody participated in making the respirators and the vaccines and masks and stuff like that but uh we need to come together for other things as well i mean world peace would be nice uh getting rid of hunger poverty would be also nice we don't have to live in a world where we're getting handouts but you're working so you have a self-worth because i think that when you're given things there's no satisfaction in it well subhanallah i remember a, a poem that um when i was pledging fraternity it was called test of a man it says there's little satisfaction from being from little section how's it go there's little satisfaction to be gained from doing things that hold no difficulty it is the tough old task that brings a keen sense of worth and power to the man who wins a fight his failures test his courage his problems prove his might until a man has conquered loss and overcome defeat he can never really understand how success is sweet so i think when things come easy they don't really have a value yes it's when you work for it and you earn it then you really appreciate it and i think that we as a humanity need to work together to earn that right to be humans because a lot of times we don't act like humans we act like animals yep you know it's there's this this is very similar saying it is shorter it's uh that which is worth it is never easy and that which is easy is never worth it so it makes a lot of sense now um where was i going to go with that in regards to but I think, oh yeah, with the universal basic income, they did a little test where they gave people $500 a month in California. And I don't want to, I'm, I'm probably butchering this, so you golfites, you already know, you look this up yourself, you could double check what I'm saying, get the correct numbers, but it was something like less than 5% of the people used it, or either 5% of the people or 5% of the money that was given to them was used for vices like drugs or alcohol or, or something else like gambling. The rest of them used it for things they needed, bills, rent, food, stuff like that. And there was a very interesting story I heard. Um, so my, some of my fans have probably heard it too. But it was pretty much this one man was in a very tough uh, economic situation where he couldn't afford to lose. Like, financially, he could not afford missing one day of work. And he hated his job so much. And he couldn't miss even one day of work. Not, all, not included, He can't get sick. He can't even interview for another job or he might fall behind on all his bills. So what this $500 got to do for him the first month, see, he was able to buy a suit. Even though he did lose his job, he was able to now go and interview. And now he's doing a job in a, perf in a field that he wants, that he wanted to be in. He's way happier at his job and he's making way more money because he got that handout. They need it. Now, I'm not saying we need to hand out everything to everybody. I'm not saying give everybody $40,000 a year. But what I am saying is it shouldn't... It sh people, for the majority, if you, I think if the, my math is right, let's say minimum wage on average is $7 an hour times two 
and then make that thousand. That would be fourteen thousand dollars a year, roughly, if you make seven an hour. I, I don't want you to think that I didn't think that. Yeah, go ahead. People didn't need. No, no, no I'm, the I don't help. think that. I don't okay? think you think that. And either. that when I said that it, it was easier for somebody to stay home and make nine hundred dollars than go out and work for it. No, I get okay? what you're saying. Well, I mean, if you go back a couple of years when they did the bank bailout, okay, the government spent. $800 billion or some ridiculous number like that and they gave it to the bankers who caused the problem in the first place and then they took the money and they didn't pump it back into society. They gave themselves bonuses. This time I think the government was a little bit smarter and they gave it to the people and the people were able to pump it back into the economy which didn't allow our economy to collapse. I agree with that. Okay. So it saved us from an economic collapse. Right. Okay. So, but we need to start getting back to production. Right. Now, my point also, just to be clear, I, I, I didn't think you were coming off that way, but my point was sometimes if we can help some people, it can end up having them help themselves. Not all people, obviously. Right. There's definitely people who abuse any system that's out there. Right. But, but like you said, if somebody's going to be lazy, they're going to be lazy regardless of whether you give them a little bit or a lot, right? So if they're getting just enough to get by and, that, and they're happy with that, well, then they're just those type of people. I don't think them getting any more money is going to help them. But I also agree with, I saw something where the billionaires pay because they know how to get all the loopholes so, so little in taxes. They, it's less than 10%. On average, I think it's way less than 10% on average. Where most people who make, let's just say, under 400,000, which is still, I would consider a lot, but it's still way farther from the billionaires. You're not even at half a million there, and you're paying close to 40% in taxes. Well, I mean, I think we saw that both with uh, former President Trump. When they did his tax returns, they, they saw that he paid. Uh, something crazy low right something ridiculously low but recently i heard that bezos pays less in taxes than his workers pay oh i i believe that one million okay. percent percentage wise his workers definitely pay way higher now uh, if you listen to rich dad poor dad robert kiyosaki he talks about there's four quadrants and the worker is going to pay his taxes before he gets his paycheck. And then you have the boss, who is the sole proprietorship, who if he doesn't work, he doesn't get paid. Then you have the corporations that have the system where so they can stick somebody in there and they run the cookbook operation. And then there's the investor. Okay? Now, rich people understand money and they know how to do both the corporation and the investor. Right. Okay? And they write the tax laws to help the people that are in that category. The corporations and the investors. Right. The corporations get tax loopholes and they get credits and, and that's usually, for losses. Right. So they offset a lot of the tax by corporate tax loopholes. Now, in, as an investment, uh, there were countries that you can invest in outside the United States. And some, some I think, uh, based on the tax codes, they talk about earned income. 
right? You're taxed on your earned income. What does earned income mean? Is it income that you get from your, when your money makes money? Or is it when you work and make money? Yeah, I would assume it's... Because if it is based on your money making money, it's not earned income, and so it's not taxable. Which is crazy, because that's how... I think it was most billionaires became billionaires not through hard work because of hedge funds and investments like right. that. So, it's their so money the hedge money. funds, the real estate investments, you know, probably you buy at a low price, you sell at a high price. Now there was capital gains taxes and then they said there was a, um, I, I don't know what the exact um, code is, but if you invest it in a more valuable property, then it offsets your taxes, your capital gains tax. And so, you know, they know the game of the, t the tax law game and they're able to play it. But if you're going to H&R Block, they're not going to tell you all those things because you're not making enough money to do these investments. You know? <sighs> so... Um, I mean, look, look at cryptocurrency. No, you I, know, within um, Elon Musk talks about Bitcoin, talks bad about it, and it drops. Or if it he talks dropped, good, it shoots. It, what did he lose? He lost uh, twenty billion dollars, or something crazy like that. I think that was he had to show liquidity, so he had to sell some of the Bitcoin that he bought. No, and I'm not talking about. Um, Elon? You're talking Elon, about somebody else? I'm talking else? about the owner of, of uh, Bitcoin? Bitcoin. What was his name? Oh, I don't know. They don't know who actually made it. Bitcoin. Well, I mean, well. I think you might be thinking of one of those, but yeah. You know, he, he took a big hit. and They're, They I, don't I think like that him. guy. That guy, Cuba. Uh, Cuba? Is it Cuba? Uh, Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban? Or Cuba or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. He, they said he lost uh, a couple hundred thousand dollars just overnight. So, I mean, can you handle that? Well, when you're investing a hundred million, if you lose um, a couple of million, it's not a big thing, right? Well, you know, it's exactly that what you just said, because they always say in all these financial uh, like analysts or or any financial pot, anything that you listen to, they'll say this is not financial advice. Invest at your own risk. A lot of them will, even if they're smart, will say never invest more than you're willing and able to lose. Right. So you're right. While, while he did lose, and you're like, well, he lost $10 million or $10,000 or $100,000. You're like, that's a lot of money. Well, he was willing to, that was already like, oh, I can lose that and still be fine. Which is crazy how some people have that much wealth and others don't. So while we get to the end um, of the podcast, what I want to do, the name of the podcast is Pissed Off. Uh, and I usually, I was a lot more angry in the beginning uh, of my podcast. But what, what kind of things get you angry? What kind of things piss you off? And if you need uh, a, nice, a nice, excellent direction to maybe get started on, we could talk about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict because it's still also pretty fresh in the news. I don't know if you heard incendiary balloons. I don't know what those, I, I really wonder what they look like, were sent from Gaza into Israel and then Israel retaliates with an airstrike. And nobody sees that that's wildly wildly uneven exactly well i mean i think it goes back it goes back even further than than these incendiary balloons it goes back before the rockets um what causes the palestinian people to be so desperate that they would 
throw stones at soldiers holding M uh, Uzi rifles? What causes people to be so desperate that they throw or, or burn tires and roll them at the military that's shooting live ammo? Um, you're shooting these scud-like missiles, which are like more like fireworks, and they're coming back with uh, F-18 rockets and leveling out the entire city. Um, what causes the people to feel that they're so suppressed and oppressed that they don't have things that we take for granted? Running water, electricity, so okay, school, for, for the hospitals. people who don't know what it's like, what are the conditions? Let's say from, let's just go back. It's probably not much different. When we went, we went there, I was what, 12, 13. So it was probably like 20-ish years ago. Yeah. As an American citizen, you were American citizen. I was American citizen. Born in the United States. We went to visit there. Do you remember how we were treated? I remember there was day? a military checkpoint. Okay, do you know it took us four hours to get across? I know that. I remember it took... We went... I feel like it was like around fudge of time. Like it was early morning when we went. But we didn't get like in until like afternoon. Like it took right. a long time. Four hours as an American citizen to enter into old Jerusalem. Now that was okay. from Israel. That, that was from going in from Jordan Just to get Israel. to Israel, not even to go from Israel into Jerusalem. Right. I, know, I thought there was like two checkpoints we had right. to go and through. and we had to do another checkpoint, yes. Um, they wanted you guys to go, you and your brother, to go through. And they detained me. And I made a big fuss about it because I wasn't going to just leave. Oh, actually, they let me through and they were retaining, detaining you and your brother. And I, and I refused to go through without you two with me, okay? Until uh, one of their officers came and asked what the problem was. And I said, your soldier wants me to go through and not, is not going to allow my kids to go through. And if I go through, then I'm not going to be able to come back to get them. So I'm not leaving until my kids leave with me. And... They asked the soldier what the problem was, and he didn't have an answer. And then uh, the commander said, let him through. Just give him his papers and let him go through. But um, That's probably happens to people all the time, and especially if they're not American and they don't have that, uh, that, that could have been what let you get through easier. Well, I mean, we were Americans, and when I kind of fussed about, well, you know what? I need to talk to the ambassador of the United States. I want to go to the United States embassy. Um, things got a little bit different. Then they kind of like were a little easier to work with, yeah. you'd say? They didn't become more but, difficult. But it doesn't matter if you're an American citizen or not over there. They do what they want to do. And we claim that Israel is our ally. But for the amount of aid that we give Israel and the amount of support that we give Israel, unconditional support, you would think that they would treat American citizens better than they do, and they don't. And it's our tax dollars that's financing. You know, we, we discussed this too. We said that 
Israel is all green now, where all the countries around there are still desert. Right. But that's not Israeli money. Right. That's the United States taxpayers' money. We talk about, you talk about the Iron Dome that protects Israel from the rockets. That's also United States American citizens paying their tax dollars money. Right. Okay. But when our president says, I want, to halt, I want you to halt, when he told Netanyahu, I want you to halt um, this human rights violation, they didn't agree to it. They kept doing what they were going to do for another two weeks. Right. Okay. Where 300 women and children get killed. Cities are destroyed. Hospitals are destroyed. Um, the only place that was testing for COVID was destroyed. Hotels were destroyed. The facility where the news people uh, were located was destroyed. Now, so why, why is it that Israel can get away with human right violations, yet when um, we always support the United Nations sanctions against Israel, we boycott, yet we, our president, Biden, was telling Putin that he should be restrained from doing the things he's doing to Ukraine. Okay? So why is this double standard allowed when it comes to Israel? I was going to say that because I was going to ask you just to go back to when we were being detained. Like thinking of it objectively from the outside, do you think that and I can't possibly imagine that me and my brother were any posing as any kind of threat we were very young so like uh, do you think it was well, like a security thing and them just being extra secure or do you think it could have just been a cultural like the way that they they just like okay we have to treat anybody who's coming in who's not absolutely very identifiable as jewish as a possible enemy and treat them as or a second class citizen i think it's more the second and not that they're just doing that entirely for security. Because I'm sure there's some security concerns. I could see it the other way around. If they were to let me and Yassine go through, but not you. Because they're like, well, why are you going through? Well, you, both you and your brother are second generation Americans. But you have Muslim names. Right. Yusuf and Yassine. Right. Okay. And I think that was more of a problem. Because my name, ah. Liwan, they weren't really sure. Yeah, like because it doesn't what, fall into the Arab names. Right, it's not a, it's not a normal. It's not an Islamic name. That would, yeah, right. So they weren't really sure what my background was. Gotcha. Okay, but when it came to Yusuf and Yassin, they knew that those were not typical. It's almost. It like, wasn't. It wasn't Yosef. Yeah. And Ari. And it, it was, God forbid, it would have been Muhammad. Okay. And Muhammad or, or, or John and Paul. <laughs> right. Okay, so so I think that made a difference. Yeah, All right. that makes sense now. Actually, that makes sense, and and I can s understand them being at a heightened sense of, uh, I guess, uh, stress, uh, feeling like you can get attacked at any time because the fuck. And, and this was a shitty joke that I would try to tell on stage, but it's like. Yeah, the real enemy isn't the Muslims to the Jews. It's Britain, if you think about it. Britain decided, hey, Israel, you know, we're going to put you right here, surrounded you by Muslims, 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 and water, your natural enemies. Well, well uh, the, the original plan 
was a two-state solution. Yeah. It was for Israel to live side by side with the Palestinian people on Palestinian land. Yeah. And that was 1947, 1948. And they were trying to work those those things out and you know look anytime you displace a people they're going to be offended by it well, how, who gives you the right to give away our land okay that's like if you're a Californian or a Texan and no offense to the Mexican people but if the Mexican people from the, from the other side of the border came and they decided that we're going to take Texas and make it part of Mexico or we're going to take California and make it part of Mexico. Would would the Americans like that? I mean, I think we kind of did that. So we could just do it the other way around. Right. <laughs> but, 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 I can but, understand now. But why you see now, the Palestinian people who are Palestinian, yeah. when you ask them what's your nationality, I'm Palestinian. Well, you were displaced from your home. And, and I know this first firsthand because my mother was displaced. Right. My fa- my grandfather's orchards were taken. They had a house with a store that was taken, and and Yaffa, okay, and you know they left there with the clothes on their back and nine kids. Wow. So, you know, do I understand what that's like? Yes, um, and. If you ask my mother till the day she died, what are you? She's Palestinian. And where is that on the map? Right. You know, it, almost every time I type in Palestinian or Palestine on my phone, it tries to autocorrect it to like Pakistani. It's like it doesn't want to acknowledge Palestine. Right. But, you know, I was listening to a Christian evangelist the other day and... Uh, He's, he found the Bible that was 1905, I think it was printed, and there was Palestine. And they talked about that as being the Holy Land, and who were the people of Palestine, were the Palestinian people, and who um, the map that was shown was the entire state of Palestine, not Israel. There was no mention of Israel in it. Um, recently, the new government of Israel allowed a protest to go on, and I don't know if you heard what the Pal- what the Israeli people are saying. And, they, and these are not all the Israeli people. This is the the Zionist Israeli people. That if you talk to Hasidims, they don't believe that there should be a home st- a homeland based upon uh, their holy book, and that. Um, the Jews were not supposed to have a homeland. Um, but the Zionists feel that there should be no Palestinian. Kill the Arabs. Kill the Muslim. Your religion is shit. And, okay? And just uh, they to be teach, fair, They teach their kids. Hamas does teach the same thing. Correct? Like, uh, I'm, I, I am I'm, not... Just to be objective is my point. I'm not sure what Hamas teaches, but I'm sure it's going to be along the same lines. So that's I mean, the if problem, you listen to, um, well, I mean, not, you're, it's you're, not, could, you're oppressed can people. Can I just real quick say okay. this, just so this, just so I clear. Like you were saying, it's not majority of the Jewish people or even the majority of the Israelis. It's just 
the Zionist ones that are speaking the loudest for that. Just like a majority of the Palestinians are probably not like, oh, we should kill all the Israelis, all the Israelis are dogs. But then there's a couple of them that are talking as Hamas. And those two very loud chihuahuas are making everybody else look like that's what the whole, everybody on the Palestinian side is like Hamas and everybody at the Israeli side is like the Zionists. Does that make sense? Yes. Look, I, I'm not. I'm not condoning what Hamas does. Okay. I don't think them shooting rockets into civil uh, civilian areas is a correct thing. What would that help? Is okay. My point, right. It, it doesn't, and it, it ex escalates the retaliation right. on a one-sided war because you, if you don't have the means to fight the war, then that's like going up to a guy who's uh, like Khabib and and spitting him in his face and not expecting him to punch you in the mouth. Yeah. Okay? I mean, as a fighter, he's going to he's going to retaliate the way he knows. Israel's military is been under they they've been a military since 60 since 47, surrounded by people who don't really want Israel to exist, right? So their military is they say one of the best trained militaries in the world. Okay? Their, their ammunition and their weaponry they get from the United States, which is also top-notch weaponry in the world. Right. I mean, as a, as a country, we don't export a lot of stuff. We export weapons and technology, information. Right. Okay? That's what we have. We're, we're not producers of a lot of things. No. Okay? So... We're sending them the weapons, we're sending them the money, we're sending them the information. And they're taking that and they're using it to suppress the people. Now, who are the Zionists? Are they people that were originally from Israel? Are they originally their ancestors from, the, from, from uh, Palestine or from that area there? No, most of the majority of them are not. Majority of them are from Eastern European, they're Eastern European Jews that were under the Soviet bloc for all those years that, that now migrated there. They're the Ashkenazic Jews, okay? Right. Not, not the Jews that were the originally from Israel. The, the now, if you, look at, if you look at the, their, their genealogy, you're going to see that a majority of them have no linkage to present-day Israel. And you know, it's funny you say that because most of the people who would claim anti-Semitism are Ashkenazi, which have no... So for those of you who don't know, Semites are people from that region. So most Muslims, Arabs, Jews, if you're from that region of the Middle East, you are technically a Semite. And an anti-Semite is now was was basically claimed by just being anti-jewish even though it's supposed to be anti-jewish from that region or any anti anybody from that region right. which is crazy that somebody who's not from that region let's say a russian uh, ashkenazi can claim anti-semitism against a palestinian who was born and living in their semite land right and and it's not just them you know there's the kazarians that were from the the caucasus mountains where uh, my father is from, okay. They there were Jews that were in from Ru southern Russia, 
Now, they, they came in, and they're a majority of who occupy Israel now. Okay? Did they have that as their original homeland? Maybe if you go back a couple of thousand years ago, possibly. Okay? But if they do the DNA testing that you do with uh, 23andMe or genealogy or yeah. whatever the other number of uh, Ancestry.com and those, you're going to see that they may never even have had any ancestries in that region. Right. Okay. So what what gives you the right to claim your homeland that you were never a home that was never your homeland? Right. And like, well, I mean, funny you say that. When I did the 23andMe or whatever one I was, uh, I found out that yeah, I'm very African, for example. But this is my homeland. Didn't show any United States in my because there isn't anything yet in my right, bloodline. Because, right, because that's the that's the new. But you see that like that's very strange. Well, well I think the 23andMe and those they 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 date back to they go back centuries okay and they bring you current so you can see the migration pattern right okay and for you there's no more where you just got here so there's there's no way i just got here right based on that so then it's going to be okay. like the generations so down. so there's no way to to test american yet right because most Unless Americans you were come American, from other places. Maybe, maybe if you look at the original um, pilgrims that came on the Mayflower. Now, the people that are from that lineage may show American. But also will show like French or German, not German, but wherever they came from right. when they came over here. But it's going to show that they came from England, England or France or... Uh, whether they crossed the Bering Sea and right. came across the uh, that way. So, so, but when you when you look at who's occupying Israel right now, I mean, there was the Somalian Jews for a long time. They didn't want to let them back into Israel. Right. And they were the closest to that region of the Jews that they did let in. But for a long time, they didn't let them in. Why? They had more rights to that land than the Ashkenazic Jews from Poland and I think, the Soviet Union. So here's what I do with my theories, conspiracies that I hear. Mm -hmm. I like to do this with a lot of things. Follow the money or the power. Mm -hmm. Why would Israel need to be doing this? Well, there's got to be money and power in this because I believe you were the one who told me, uh, and maybe you can help me out with the right borders, but... The, the Israeli flag, I believe, is it's blue, white, blue, and that's supposed to be the Israeli state is the white in the middle of the two bodies of water. Is that correct? Did I and maybe have that right? Um, Herzl, like from the Euphrates, Herzl, which is in, I think, Egypt, into something that's in like Syria-ish. Yeah, Theodore Herzl came up with the flag, or was it was brought to everybody's attention when he was trying to gather the Zionists to form a state of Israel. And the two lines on it is from the Nile to the Euphrates. That's it. So the, the, the top one is the Euphrates and the bottom one is the Nile. Now, when they established the state of Israel in 47, um, I, I don't know why I can't remember that guy's name, the, the English... Uh, 
It's not important. Belford. The Belford Accord, okay, um, which said, said that there was supposed to be a two-state solution. Okay, it didn't have Israel as occupying all of um, uh, the entire state of Palestine. No. Okay. And then in 1967, when there was the Seven-Day War, the Israeli army uh, was at war with uh, the neighboring countries, and they went in and they they took over the Sinai of uh, Egypt and the Golan Heights of Syria. Right. Okay, and they kept those for a long time until the... If you're brain farting, don't you don't have to go crazy? No, no. I'm just trying to think. It was. I think it was Jimmy Carter. Yes. Um. That sounds about when, right. When when he he got he like got them to he give got, back the land or something. Yeah, he got um. Because he the was Egypt like, president and the Israeli president to sit down, and they returned part of the land. They returned the Sinai, but they kept Gaza. Of Egypt. And they returned the Golan Heights, but they made checkpoints in the Golan Heights too, because the Golan Heights is a high area of Syria. Okay. So they were able to keep um, a point up there so that they can protect Like Israel. looking down on everything, right. so they have the high ground. So, so they gave back land that they took for peace. Okay. And so by doing that, they had peace with Syria. They had peace with Jordan. They had peace with Israel, uh, with uh, Egypt. Okay, but um, you know, right now, the Trump Kushner plan that states that we're gonna take land from Egypt, we're gonna let the Saudi Arabians and the Emiratis pay for this, and we're gonna set up a country and move all the Palestinians to Egypt and call it, I forgot what they were, they were going to make, name the country, but basically they're saying we're going to relocate you to a land and we're going to set up a, um, a city for you, a country for you, okay, with Saudi money. Well, I mean, as a nationalist, okay, um, you know, you're Palestinian and you tell your kids that you're Palestinian and you look on a map and there's and no Palestine. There's Israel, yeah. And there's no, there's no uh, Palestine anymore. Uh, you were mentioning earlier when you try to do things on Google and you, you type in Palestine, it gives you Pakistan or it tries to divert you. Okay, how do these people feel? It's hard. I mean, and I understand the whole struggle. It's... When I try to be objective, it's more to try to find a solution. Because, as you were saying, just if you didn't look at it objectively, it's like, yeah, the, the Zionists are propaganda saying the Muslims are dogs, they just want to kill us all. Well, the, the, the people who are in charge of the propaganda on the Palestinian side are saying the same thing. And instead of saying the truth, which is only a small amount of them want to kill you. The rest of them actually want to make peace. Talk to the ones that want to make peace. Ignore the ones that want to kill you because you're never going to change their mind. Then maybe there could have been a solution or there could be a solution in the future that way where the side that doesn't want to fight is willing to talk to the other side that doesn't want to fight and that the ones that do want to fight die off eventually. You know, 
we, I think we discussed this once before. I go, when one size military is so overwhelmingly superior to the other side, why would you sit down to negotiate anything? Right. If Israel can pretty much say in, in this scenario, okay. because Israel has more now, power, now, you do what we want, and if not, you don't have the power to negotiate. We have all the power because right. we're the stronger ones. Right. So, for instance, now they, based on the Palestinian viewpoint, Israel is is occupied. Palestinian is occupied. Okay. Under. Under the way things are right now, when the United States was fighting the Cold War against the Soviet Union, we were in an arms race, right? Right. So it wasn't, it was the arms race. Did we have enough nuclear weapons to blow the world up Multiple a million times, times over? Yes. Yeah. Did anybody use it? No. Was it, was it enough of a deterrent to have both sides sit down where Ronald Reagan sat down with Gorbachev and they were able to bring down the wall, just uh, bring down the wall in East and West Germany, Berlin Wall, okay? Right. Were they, were, was it enough to sit down and, and cause them to sit down and talk, okay? Right now, with the Palestinians unarmed and the Israelis with nuclear weapons, what would make them sit down and talk? Or even what's going to force the Israelis to follow through with the, the let's say they agree to something. There's no nothing that's going to make them have to enforce it. They can just, they don't have to listen. Yeah, no, yeah, we'll, even, give, we'll give you back blah, blah, blah land. And e then you just give us this land. Okay, then now the Israelis take that land, but they don't give up the other land that they said they were going to trade. Right. Because they have the power to keep both. Well, you, you have land that was designated, this is for Palestinians, this is for Israelis. But then you go in there and you bulldoze cities or portions of the cities and you set up um, settlements. You go to the farmlands and you bulldoze um, olive trees that were up for a hundred years. Okay? I mean, when the United Nations says Israel is, is committing uh, war crimes... And they need to be sanctioned. And then you have Israel and the United States vetoing it. So nothing ever gets so, done. So what gets done? They're allowed to just kind of continue now, on. When, when Iran talked about um, they didn't want to give up their nuclear program because they're saying they use the nuclear for medicine and energy, even though that may not be the whole truth. Okay, we sanctioned them. Right. Right. The world was behind it. United States was behind it. United States and its allies pushed it. Right. So now United States allies are also part of those that want to sanction Israel. But the United States doesn't sanction Israel. Right. It vetoes it. So what's going to make Israel sit down and negotiate anything? Yeah, there's really nothing. Okay, they were doing they're, what they want to do. They're killing and 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 it's uh, like and and then the United States is saying, "I want you to stop," and Israel saying, "No, no, no," and the United States is saying, "Here, here's a checkbook. Open checkbook. Look, 
to continue doing what you're doing. So basically, by financing Israel, and and there was a couple of senators and congressmen that were trying to stop um, Israel from getting funds so that they can, uh, so that the president would have a little bit more say in controlling the um, leader of Israel. But the way they established it and set it up, they wouldn't be able to discuss it even in the um, the capital where I guess stuff goes on in the House and Senate okay that is anything that comes to the aid of Israel is done in such a fast time period that the people who want to protest it don't, even don't have, have enough time to even set up oh, wow. and establish a bill to stop it to get a vote on right okay now tell me if this sounds about right because I feel like you remember Tyler from wrestling when yeah. we were kids and I don't want to say his last name but he was a screw-up and the reason he was allowed to keep screwing up is his family just kept kind of bailing him out of it and I think that's kind of similar to Israel is allowed to just keep making these mistakes because their parent company country I guess in this case United States is gonna keep saying oh Israel don't do it again don't do it again ha 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 and just left like let him do it right look we we, we have a purpose to be in the Middle East and uh, we, we have a lot of oil companies that are there and we, we have the refineries that are there, okay? So there's big business, there's bi so American corporations interest. that are there that are making trillions and trillions of dollars, okay? And they're the ones that basically fund our governors and our senators and the, through the lobbyists. Israel also has a very strong lobby, the yeah. APEC, okay, that they fund a lot of our senators and congressmen, okay, and uh, w we have, we believe we have an ally in Israel in the Middle East, but I never understood why making one country your friend and 22 countries your enemy was good foreign policy. Right. Okay, if you were neutral, you wouldn't have 22 enemies. You would have no enemies. That's very true. And you know what? Okay. That's actually a great point to think about. Like, I don't think anybody thinks about that. But I think that's a good place to wrap it up right here. Um, well, yeah, this is a great interview with my father. Any, uh, anything else you want to say before? Anything, any final points? It's always good talking to you, Yusuf. Oh, you yeah. know, we, we got to talk about a lot of different things, and it was fun. I think I'm going to have to have you on a little bit more if you're down. And, and sure. We'll do this. Um, we'll do little maybe, interviews. Maybe pick a topic that we can stick on. And we'll do that, too. Yeah, I'll have more, well, more ideas like that. We can like be that. a little bit more focused than... Well, I just wanted to just let people kind of get to know you first, too. and like well, They can kind of see where I come from, too. You know? Sounds so. good. Thank you for uh, joining me, guys, and uh, stick around. You'll get a nice little outro, and, uh, and if not, then I'll see you next week. You guys be safe, be healthy, be happy. Life's too short to be miserable. That's right. All right, bye.